Hey, maybe there's something new. Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Potlicker Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Potlicker. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Ken Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. What's up, folks? What's up, KBJ? How are you doing? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Dr. A. I am well, and how are you? I'm doing okay. Can't complain. Things are moving. Semester started, so I'm trying to get back into the flow of everything. So, yeah, everything's moving so far. So as always, um, be- but before we plug our product today, uh, uh, we, we're going to jump into um, our words of wisdom, as we always do. Uh, this week's words of wisdom comes from Alice Walker. Uh, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. Right. So what does that mean to me? Folks think, and I'm I'm talking, I'm particularly talking about African-Americans. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we think that we don't have power, but we do. We do have economic power. We do have a collective power. So we have to think in that way. I often told the uh, black students that play um, at the collegiate level, you do have power in the collective because if you choose not to play, you break down the machine Um, that was kind of taking advantage, not kind of, but taking advantage of you. So you have to recognize the power you have um, to move on it. Any thoughts? Indeed. I I agree wholeheartedly. And it also reminds me of when people say voting doesn't matter. Um, if If you think like that, then you've given up your power from the very beginning. You have to first believe that you have power and then you will have power. So as a man thinketh, so is he. You have to believe you're powerful. And voting, indeed, makes a difference. All right. So we, before we, we move on today uh, to our first plug, we just want to let our listeners and viewers know that you can now email us at potlickershow at gmail.com. That is P-O-T-L-I-Q-U-O-R. S-H-O-W at gmail.com. You definitely can reach us. We are anxious <laughs> and, and awaiting your comments. Uh, but with that being said, we are going to get into our first plug. Hey, hey. 
So you want to know what I like? You know, you want to know what I'm liking these days? Yeah, what's the product of the week? I am liking Sensodyne Pro Namel Toothpaste for sensitive teeth and cavity prevention. And also with gentle whitening. This is the toothpaste I use every day. It's very effective. Um, it's going to leave your teeth fresh and clean. It's going to leave your, your, your breath smelling good. And also I really do think this helps to protect your teeth from cavities because I, have you ever been to the dentist and, and your dentist tells you, Oh, I'm watching this tooth or that tooth because it looks like you may be developing a cavity there. Have you ever had that happen? Well, I have had that happen. And after using this toothpaste, I'll, I go back and they're like, oh, it's uh, doesn't looks like it's getting better there. You know, just keep flossing, keep brushing, and you can actually prevent cavities and brush after every meal. Hmm. I have to be yeah. honest, I don't always do that, but I do, <laughs> I do brush my teeth every day. Okay. Um, I do use that, that toothpaste too, uh, especially like when my teeth are getting sensitive. Um, I'll go and I'll use it. I don't use it every day. Um, I use Crest and Colgate a lot. Oh, but anytime my teeth, I feel like there's a sensitivity when I'm drinking uh, some liquids. and Like hot or cold. Yeah. And my yeah. teeth get chilly. I was like, okay, it's time to use Sensodyne again. So, it protects your your the enamel on your teeth. It really yes, does. Definitely, it does. Try it. Oh, what's going on? 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 Okay, so uh, we're back in Florida again with DeSantis and this. Mm. Uh, they're at it again, refusing. Uh, African-American studies program. This is the AP program that they are blocking hmm. um, comments. I'm so sick of Ron DeSantis. I mean, this guy, I, I actually believe that he knows that this is stupid for him to be blocking an AP African-American history course. I mean, this is really, really stupid. And he's saying that it violates state law and it's historically inaccurate and it significantly lacks educational value. Why would the knowledge of African-Americans and their history in this country lack significant educational value? Why? I mean, this is from a man who is an Ivy League graduate, graduated from Yale undergrad, Harvard Law School. You cannot possibly be this stupid. Do you want students to remain ignorant of our history? Not to mention, you realize students have information in the palms of their hands. They can literally go on their phones and Google anything they want to learn. So it's really just, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's stupid. That's the bottom line to me. It's just stupid. So that's how I feel about it. What do you think? Uh, I think he is pandering um, to his constituents and they made a big thing about critical race theory. Mm -hmm. And so this is all in efforts uh, 
for kids, especially white parents and their children, protecting them from feeling guilty about America's past. Um, this one is interesting because it's an AP studies course. So um, you don't have to take it. Right. And so if, if you don't want to take it, but you're depriving African-American students or any student that wants to know about history in America, um, in it's an African-American studies class. So everybody thinks when we're going to talk about African-American history, we only talk about slavery. There's a lot more. There were great people who did great things that started great businesses that had innovations and things of that nature. Black folks weren't acknowledged, you know, uh, in the textbook. That's uh, the main reason why we have African studies um, courses. Uh, So it helps with identity. It helps growing up knowing that, you know, people who look like you have actually accomplished something and have uh, contributed to the society. Exactly. Not to mention that it would give kids a boost in their GPA because, you know, those AP classes are weighted. So if you if you take an AP course and you do well, you will get ex- almost like extra credit and it will bump your GPA up a little bit and make you more attractive in terms of college admissions. Um, but the other thing is, um, you know, if if you pass the AP exam, you get college credit. And so then when you go to college, you wouldn't ne- necessarily have to take an introductory level course um, in, in that field of study because you already, you know, got the, the AP credit for it. So, you know, if 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 they don't take it, if students don't take it in high school, they can take it in college, Mr. DeSantis. So you're not. <laughs> you're you're just prolonging the inevitable if you're concerned about people learning African American history. You can't, and this is this underscores the importance of students taking responsibility for their own education. We have to be what is called autodidactic. You have to be able to when you, what you learn in the classroom is just scratching the surface. This is what I try to tell my kids. Like, okay, it's just scratching the surface. If you're interested or you have questions, you have to go and look for answers yourself. My kids ask me questions. I'm like, you got the, you got answers in the palm of your hand. You tell me, <laughs> you know, just Google it. Let's just look it up. It's right there. So yeah, take uh, parents, black parents have to teach their kids black African-American history and students have to take responsibility as well for their own education. What do you think? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I I do believe that you have to take on this. Don't leave your uh, education solely up to, uh, public schools or private schools make sure that you're doing some education at home. And with that being said, let us move on. So we're going to move away from DeSantis, but we're going to stay in the state of Florida. And we're going to talk about this big situation this week with, uh, NFL Hall of Famer Ed Reed. Uh, And Ed Reed was about to be the coach of Bethune-Cookman. That was fast. (laughs) But uh, after 25 days, um, he's been let go. So for those of our listeners who who, who don't know, um, Ed Reed went on a rant and he put it on social media talking about 
Bethune Cookman and Dr. Ed. Pro- yes. Do you mind explaining who Ed Reed is? Yeah, Ed Reed is an NFL Hall of Famer. Um, mm-hmm. He played quarterback for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. He's okay. one of the best quarterbacks that ever played. Okay. Um, he played football. He's from Florida and he played football at the University of Miami. Mm. So Ed Reed being his status, you know, Dion mm-hmm. bringing in, not bringing in, but setting uh, a path for other um, Hall of Fame or big time NFL players, former NFL players to coach at these HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Ed Reed jumped on ship. Uh, with Bethune Cookman, but when he went there, he was disappointed in the facilities that they had. Um, some of the buildings he said were full of trash. There were areas on the campus that was full of trash. Fences weren't fixed. He was just saying it was, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. It was despicable. Um, he used more colorful language. Um, he was upset that his office wasn't clean. It just wasn't the way uh, an institution should be run according to him. Mm-hmm. And he ranted on social media for a long time and he made a couple of posts and he used profanity. Um, so that's what folks were talking about. Um, some folks defended him. Um, the students was like, yes, the food is bad. There's mold on campus, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um before I get into my opinion about that, I'll let you speak. Well, I would just say that you want to, Mr. Reed, you want to let the ink dry first before you start criticizing your employer. Um, and not to say that we can't criticize our institutions because you know, we, we want it to be better. So we want to be uh, critical, but, but we want the criticism to be constructive, not destructive. So I would say, number one, you want to at least be a part of the university first before you start to try to correct it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with pointing out deficiencies and trying to correct them. But when you're on the outside looking in, because from what I understand, he had not yet been officially hired and under contract, right? Right. But he had done a lot of work on the campus, even though like cleaning up trash and clearing out pathways with the football team. Okay. I, I get that. And and I believe his heart was in the right place. I believe his intentions are good. But it reminds me of Felicia Rashad when she first became the dean of the School of Fine Arts at Howard, and she made that comment about Bill Cosby that was in support of him, and that caused like a big, you know, uh, sort of backlash for her. The point is, is that you have to realize the position that you have now. You can't, everything is not for public consumption. And so, you know, you have to be, you have to be cognizant of the perception that people are going to have of what you're saying. So if you're still, I mean, I I get that he had started working, but technically you're still on the outside looking in, you're going to, it just makes it look like you're not with us. It's like you're working against us, although your heart is in the right place. And that's just a matter of perception. So you just have to be aware of that. That's the only thing. And so 
that's the first thing that I would say to him. Other than that, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I I, I admire the passion. Um, I didn't like the execution. Um, I also think the public shaming was horrible. I mean, we're grown. I don't think you take the social media, the lambast, an institution. Right. As a person who is a product of two HBCUs, trust me when I say um, I know the problems that HBCUs face. Mm-hmm. You know, the underfunding, the lack of resources, the lack of alumni giving support, um, the mismanagement of, of money sometimes from some institutions, the embezzlement of money sometimes from some institutions. But let me say this also goes on at predominantly white institutions, what we call PWIs. Um, so in their, in, at their smaller institution, I think every coming on and generalizing saying this happens at all HBCUs for one is very wrong. You know, there's about 107, 108, uh, historically black colleges and universities and all of them do not have problems, um, of, of that, of, of that, that magnitude. magnitude right. Yeah. So right. there are issues at a lot of universities across the country. Indeed. Uh, but you're getting upset with the people there. So if you go to an HBCUs and those that do, students complain all the time. Uh, when I got to Morgan State University, there were issues with the buildings and things of that nature. But what we were lacking <laughs> in like funds um and and like resources and buildings we made up in love and connection and building a community with one another we were on on one accord we actually had a protest when i was in my undergrad at morgan state university because the buildings hadn't been renovated and um i'm trying to remember correctly like from 19 since 1959 and the mm-hmm. governor kept pushing things back. So we had a protest. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it helped out a little bit like the year yeah. after they started getting funding. Um, right. And we, we, we did try to take it to the news. The news came up on campus. We had to sit in, in the administration building. So I, I get yeah. uh, Reed's um, frustration. Um, I do. Uh, I just didn't like his execution. Um, right. He's a grown man. I don't want to call what he did immature. I just think he should have thought about it more and address the people um, who needs to be addressed. Um, I do agree. Like HBCUs are not beyond reproach. Like we right. they should be. We should be critical of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my biggest problem is the support that we get um, from one another once we leave the institution, uh, institutions that we graduated from. So this mm-hmm. was an uh, an unfortunate situation. And I hope things work out for Ed Reed because I do believe he's a passionate person. Um, I saw other projects that he did to help the youth out. So I, I I don't know him personally, but I do strongly believe that his heart is in the right place. Do you do you believe that what he did warranted his uh, firing? He made a lot of other videos. Well, not a lot. A couple of more videos he did where he was cursing, you know. um, And I guess profanity is all right. But is it like you said, is it good for public consumption? 
-hmm. He's just going off on the school and you're coming to the school to help the school. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you had to say could be said behind closed doors. And I just think it's more of a rallying, like some things here, like I, I do agree with him, like cleaning up trash in the building and not putting the fence up is terrible. Is that a yes or a no? You think he should have been fired? You're not sure? Do you think Bethune-Cookman is shooting themselves in the foot by letting him go? Because I'm sure he would have, maybe no, he would have been able to have think, the same impact Dion no, had. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think he should have stayed after that public okay. Um, blowout. Okay. And let us move on. Okay, now we're going to um, revisit the situation in Florida uh, with the six-year-old. We got new information about that, so let us try to explore that. Okay. What did we learn since then? Uh, Basically, we learned, um, I, I know when we first talked about this story of the six-year-old student in uh, Newport News, Virginia, who brought a nine millimeter gun to school and um, shot his teacher in the chest. Um, And I said that basically this is an example of an irresponsible gun owner who apparently did not have the weapon secured and the six-year-old was able to gain access to it. So since that time, we've learned that according to the mother who owns the gun, who obtained it legally, Um, she said that it was secured. She had it stored in, in the top of a closet that was at least six feet high. And there was a lock on the trigger that's similar to a bike lock. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's all well and good. But we also learned that this six-year-old had quote unquote, acute and acute disability that was behavioral as well as intellectual. So I find it hard to believe that a child with that kind of intellectual disability would be able to gain access to a weapon that was that had a lock on it and was up six feet high. I mean, I don't know how that happens, but if I'm taking her at her word that it was secured, I would then question why uh, parents with a child with this kind of um, special need and obviously has intellectual disabilities that would perhaps uh, prevent them from knowing right from wrong, why would you choose to have a dangerous weapon in your home? I mean, and I believe that everybody has, you know, I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe that you... um, have the right to to own a gun, um, you know, if you are uh, obtaining it legally. But I just would question why, and I and I I totally understand. I try. I'm trying to be empathetic with the parents, but I would question why you would want. Why would you would choose to have a weapon under those circumstances? Well, to my understanding, the culture in Virginia, um, especially where he is, is a big gun culture. 
Um, so we don't know if they were teaching their kids how to shoot. What I found out this week is like it's not unusual for kids that young for their parents to teach them how to shoot, and there's no law against teaching a child how to shoot. But if um, you're developmentally disabled? I don't know if they taught them that, but the bottom line is they had to go to school with him every week. That's, so that's this the, is the time. This is They didn't go to school this one week. Right. Um, I don't know how he got the gun, um, but uh, he did. It's an unfortunate situation, and we just got to hope that uh, he turns out all right. And also, it's illegal in Virginia to um, leave like a gun accessible to a child 14 years or younger, and it's a misdemeanor punishable by one year imprisonment and or $2,500 fine. Um, and the parents here have not yet been charged with anything, but the investigation is um, ongoing. Yeah, I, I think that having the gun up six feet and in a lock case um, mm -hmm. that's secure. I don't know how this kid unlocked it. Um, but yeah, we'll see where the investigation takes us. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, and let us move on. Okay, so we're going to get into our next plug, which is it's Dexacom. This is something that I use, um, full disclosure, like I told our audience before, I'm a type 2 diabetic. So this helps me manage uh, and, and monitor my uh, blood glucose level. So um, it's just... How often do you have to do to, to use this? Once a day or... No, it, it monitors it throughout the whole time it's on there. Oh, so okay. It's it, not like a prick, like a, a prick. No, the little okay. device right there, the small one next to the watch, you use that white device with the orange button on it mm -hmm. to click it into your skin. Some people use it on the back of the forearm. I use it in the tummy area. And then it reads and sends a signal to your phone or your watch, and it lets you know where your numbers are. And you can see, like, right here on this, it's a 110, which is fairly, that's a good number for a diabetic. But, yeah, it's expensive. Um, I have wrote the company and written the company and asked them uh, questions about uh why is it only for folks that have a lot of money? Because I believe that people who are type 2 diabetes that don't have money, they can't afford this and they have to do the constant pricking and reading. So insurance companies are not covering it all the way. So you got to pay about $200 uh, for a 90-day supply. Oh, my goodness. And uh, everybody can't afford it, but it's very convenient and very helpful and with that being said let us move on we have a special guest today that is coming to us she is hailed from the dmv area her name is anisha rice and she's going to talk to us about entrepreneurship hi anisha nice to meet you 
Hi, nice to meet you as well. So full disclosure, um, I've known Anisha for a long time. Um, <laughs> and she told me about, you know, her plans and she executed them and she's uh, have has done amazing things. So first, Anisha, I want you to tell our listeners just a little bit about you. Um, so as you mentioned, um, I live in the DMV area. Uh, I am an engineer by trade. And um, yeah, maybe three years ago, I decided to go on that entrepreneur route. So, and I'm okay. I have a nice son. Okay. What's so, your son's name? Zoran. Zoran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Thank okay. you. Okay. So the first question I wanted to ask you, entrepreneurship, a lot of people try to take on this, this task. Um, I want to ask you first, like, what prompted you to say, look, I want to start my own business? So, um, this is probably like the third idea I had. Um, I think I've had ideas over the years, but um, this one I thought was really good. And actually it's my father. I told my father it. And once he thought, told me he thought it was a good idea as well, I was like, okay. If he's saying it's a good idea, I know it's a good idea because my father wants me to, wanted me to stay as an engineer for years. Every time <laughs> I went to him with an idea, he was like, and I should just... Career. Don't quit your day job. Right. So this one I told him and he was like, I, he was like, I love it. I think it's good. And then after that conversation, he sent me a link um, to score, um, you know, which is an organization that helps people with their businesses. So I was like, oh no, he really likes it because even after the conversation, he was thinking about it and looked up a link to send me. So um, yeah. Okay. So oh. no, go ahead. Uh, tell us about the business. Okay. What, yeah, what was the pitch you gave your dad? So um, the business, it, it's a bedding company uh, called Mismatch. It's um, silk pillowcases with matching cotton sheets. Um, so basically, I um, didn't want to sleep with bonnets and scarves anymore. So I had switched to using silk pillowcases. But none of the silk pillowcases matched the bedding I had on my bed. So I would buy sheet sets not use the pillowcases and then uh, use silk pillowcases that didn't match the sheets I had bought. Mm. (laughs) So, um, you know, he related to that because his girlfriend also slept with silk pillowcases and he was like, you know, I'd always have to take this silk pillowcase off, put the cotton one back on. And, you know, so, um, and the more people I told the idea to everyone got it and was like, yes, that's it. Yes. That's such Mm -hmm. a good idea. So, yeah. So starting out, like after you talk to your dad, there's certain things uh, that you have to do to get your business started. And I'm not talking about like the paperwork, the DBAs and things of that nature. It's just strategies. Like, how do I move forward with this? Could you give, you know, our viewers and listeners some tips or some strategies maybe on things you did or if you had to do it over again, things you would do different? Right. So, um, one, um, the first thing I did was I wanted to see if it was something that I could patent. So I did contact a patent attorney um, who basically told me because I wasn't in- inventing sheets or inventing pillowcases that it wasn't something that I could patent. 
Um, so at that point, um, I was really trying to see what I could do to protect the ideas that other companies didn't do it. But it was interesting. I went to this um, uh, this event where uh, Damon John was speaking. And at the, in, at the end of the event, um, I was able to ask him a question. And I asked him, I said, you know, how do you um, protect an idea that, you know, you can't patent? And he said, um, patents are a waste of money. He was like, um, just, just make yours... Uh, the best. He said, you know, just make yours better. And that's really what I focused on. Um, just making sure I had good quality. I put my um, logo on everything, which is something I feel is different. Um, you know, most people don't know the brand of the sheets they sleep on. Most people buy sheets and never think about the brand. True. Um, so um, I do have my logo on the flat sheet as well as on the pillowcases. Um, I did embroidery. I just try to uh, make it the best quality sheets that I could. And um, after that, it was about, um, well, before that, finding a manufacturer. So uh, the first thing I did was talk to a patent attorney to see if I could patent it and then finding a manufacturer, which I just did from Google. Okay. So when you contact the manufacturer, how do you communicate your vision to the manufacturer? Is that, was that challenging or is that the only challenging part about it was I was just scared to tell someone what I wanted to, especially a manufacturer who could do it themselves. Yeah. But, um, you know, so me and a manufacturer went back and forth, back and forth. And I guess he sensed that I didn't want to tell him exactly what it was. <laughs> and then finally he just said, um, you know, tell me what it is. You know, we can make it. And I was like, you know what? I have to, like, if I want this made, I'm going to have to tell someone. So I told him, he sent me a sample and it's been a good relationship since. Okay. So the next step is like marketing, I guess, or it might be some other steps um, before that. But what was your strategy? Like, how do I get the sheets to the people? Marketing is an ongoing um, struggle. Um, of course, I do uh, social media. Um, I'm running social media ads now. Um what, what what year did you start the company and how have your sales increased year over year? So I launched um, summer 2019. Um, of course, COVID happened in 2020. Um, so I didn't have a huge increase from 2019 to 2020. But since then, my sales have doubled every year. Awesome. And um, I'm just constantly looking for more opportunities like at one point, I would, and it should still be, um, things are just so busy now. But when I was first starting out, even though it's only a few years ago, my daily thing was every day I have to do something to get my product in front of more people, whether it's contacting influencers, um, posting, um, looking for small business opportunities, um, which have helped me, um, and reaching out to um, local media. So um, those are some things that have helped me, you know, continue to grow. Where can we buy the sheets? Uh, mismatchhome.com. That's M-I-S-M-A-T-C-H-H-O-M-E.com. I'm also available uh, in Macy's um, and Wayfair. Macy's and? Wayfair. Wayfair. Awesome. So if you care to share, tell us a little bit about some of the programs uh, that you've been a part of that help uh, 
African-American woman uh, entrepreneur and, and how do you find out about these situations? And is it, is it very helpful to every type of business? Uh, so every program I've done was because I was looking for ways to get in like Macy's. I went on their website and was looking to see, I mean, one great thing is, you know, in 2020, many companies started launching, uh, even though this wasn't Macy's program has been going on for 10 years, but many other companies had just started in 2020 looking for, to support black owned businesses. Um, so I would just go to websites or I would Google. Um, there's many um, co companies looking to support small businesses, female businesses, and Black-owned businesses. Um, do I find these business uh, these programs helpful? Yes, definitely. Um, for me, I like the structure of it. Um, you know, it and the structure, the information, and um, meeting other entrepreneurs and sharing, you know, ideas. Um, sharing struggles and just supporting each other. Um, the Macy's program focused on retail. It um, covered retail math. It covered trends. Um, what else? It covered uh, the business side of things and marketing. Um, yeah, I feel like all the programs I've done from the Macy's program, the program with uh, Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has a program um, that was that is called one million black women uh, back in black in business. Um, this year was its, or last year was its first uh, cohort, but that's an ongoing program. Um, the Macy's program is an ongoing program as well. And they're in their 11th year now. Um, yeah. Okay, go ahead, Kim. Well, I was just curious, um, have you experienced any uh, supply chain issues? Um, like yeah. many businesses have recently. Yes. Um, uh, last year, uh, when was this? So I put in an order the end of 2021. I thought I would have had it summer of 2022, and I didn't get it till the very end of last year, like November. So, um, yeah, it's. What do you do to overcome that challenge? Do you just push? That's something your... I'm working on. I mm -hmm. have to plan like this, like I have an order place right now. Normally mm -hmm. I was waiting until I had, um, you know, the whole amount to make a new order. But this time I put my order in early because I know that it can be delayed. And, you know, when it takes almost a year to get your product, you have to be ahead of that. Okay. So the, the, the items that you sell from your website, do you, keep those in a warehouse or are yes so um that's that, that was like a milestone that i i reached um last year before that i had storage units and i was shipping everything myself um i now have a warehouse and they do the shipping for me so the products get shipped directly to them i don't have to even be there so that's nice that was a huge load off um yeah so they handle all the shipping so Awesome. Okay, so what's next for Mismatch? What's next? Um, more colors are coming. Um, I just put in an order for a black sheet set as well as a white sheet set with black um, embroidery. 
um, I'm doing another uh, program. It's with um, the Ghetto Film School and Walk Star, Women of Color Star, um, sponsored by Walmart. So I just started that program. Uh, what else? Uh, those are the main things. Oh, and I'm paying myself a salary. <laughs> so that was um, a big thing for me to even learn about. Um, in the beginning, I was like, well, you know, if I profit this and that's how much I made, but I get, you know, the process now, like, no, you still need money to cover overhead and product. And that's not what you made. <laughs> right. So um, this is my first year uh, paying myself a salary. So that's almost four years without a salary. Yes. Yeah. So did you have to save up from the salary that you received from your job as an engineer before you launched this business? Um, I'm still working as an engineer. I'm still oh, working. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm, yes. So okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, I know some people are able to take that leap. Um, I'm not <laughs> quite there yet. Um, I don't think I'm far from there. But um, yes, I'm still working as an engineer. Um, and did I save up? I did use savings, but um, you know, it depends on the product as far as like what the minimum order is, how much your product costs. Uh, my products are quite expensive and the minimum order is not small. So um, yeah, for the past three years, everything I've made went back into ordering more product. So um, more product and, you know, overhead. So. I actually think that's a really good tip. I mean, that's, you know, uh, a, a good tip for our audience that uh, in order to start a business, you don't necessarily have to quit quit your your day job. Um, you know what I mean? So. If you can't do it, don't don't rush it because it really um, puts pressure on yourself. Um, I was laid off last summer, and I said, you know what, this is a sign. Let me go all in, and it got tight. So I I wouldn't um, recommend it unless you know you can do it. Um, you know, leave when you're ready. Um, don't force yourself to do it. Okay, well, that's you gave us a handful of information. Um, I think our viewers will definitely uh, take to this about jumping into a business uh, and being prepared and and knowing the blueprint that you kind of set forth. And it's a it's a work in progress. So we appreciate you coming on the show. Best of luck. We got you down further in our buy black. Um, segment so we're going to mention mismatch in that throw your your uh, logo up and make sure um, all our listeners get a chance uh, and our viewers get a chance to look at your product best of luck with everything and all right thank you so much you're thank welcome. you Take it Take care. you too thanks bye so awesome. yeah that was awesome very inspirational yes what i heard what i heard dr a was if you have an idea Execute it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah, I have to learn from that too. Yeah. All right. Let us move on. So. We're going to plug our podcast about right now. Alrighty, so I want to talk about a podcast. Well, it's really actually a radio show that I like. Um, 
It's on Sirius XM channel 96, and it's called Straight from the Heart. <laughs> this is um, actually a, a show that I like to listen to. It, it comes on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. on channel 96, Sirius XM. And it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Yes. Um, and it's basically uh, Kevin Hart's friends that call themselves the Plastic Cut Boys. And it is comprised of Harry Ratchford, Spank Horton, um, Wayne Brown, um, and Joey Wells. Now, Naeem Lynch, is it Naeem Lynch? Lynn. Naeem Lynn um, used to be on the show, but I think recently he's taken a hiatus or it's not clear exactly what happened, but he's not there. But anyway, it's this show is a lot of fun. It's, you know, a bunch of comedians. They get together and uh, many times Kevin Hart comes on and he's usually the moderator, the host of the show. Um but, you know, a lot of times he's busy, he's doing a movie, you know, so he can't be there. And then I, I actually think it's sometimes more fun when he's not there because the other guys get to, you know, tell their stories and talk, you know, because Kevin, I mean, he, to me, takes over the show and he does a whole lot of talking and defending himself all the time. So, you know, there's less from the other guys. I just think, you know, they're just, a, a, you know, a lot of fun. And if you want to laugh, Check it out straight from the heart. Oh, by the way, I have to give a fair warning that there's a lot of N words thrown around. So if that offends you, you may not you may not want to tune in. But in profanity, um, yeah, that too. In in profanity, um, I really like the show. Um, I hardly miss an episode. Um, unlike my partner. I like it when Kevin is hosting. I don't think he dominates as much as uh, Kim says. Um, <laughs> I think he's funny. I think that they get on him for fodder. Like, they go off on him, even though that's their boy. Um, they compliment him, too. When things are serious and they get real serious, you can tell there's a strong love that they have for one yeah. another. That's we true. still don't really know why Naeem... Uh, <laughs> has left the show that's curious um yeah or do you know but, if he's coming back it sounds like he might come back i don't know yeah i don't know so um <laughs> come i don't back, know Ray. but it, but, it, but but it's definitely interesting uh so it's straight from the heart y'all should check it out let us move on black black hey. black 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 on black, hey. black, yeah, hey, okay, black, 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 black on black, black, my thoughts so black, black.